Hey everybody, I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Welcome everybody. I'm here with Marty Dodson. We're going to talk today. Marty, I'm going to throw this subject out at you because we don't like to uh, plan ahead. We're, <laughs> we're songwriters. We like to live in the moment. That's right. Write that song in the moment. I just was talking with Steve Azar um, doing his podcast a little while ago before you showed up here at the studio. And he was telling me about a story about how at one point he decided to do during his music career, that thing that everybody, his managers, everyone was telling him, don't do that. And he decided to follow his own voice and it ended up working out for him. And I've, it made me start thinking about in my own life, those moments, you know, that um, you have this crazy voice. I remember when I was 19, I was going to college, University of Alabama, studying music. My dad was a college professor there. Um, I decided at 19, I had $200. I was going to move to New York City and find something to do as, wow. as a musician, as an artist, as a songwriter. And I rode a train up to New York City, slept on someone's sofa for a while, found a job at a music store. But it's just this idea that what is it that gives us these moments that, I mean, you're a psychology major. You probably can tell me what I was doing. <laughs> but to me, it was like, what? I don't know if I could do that today. What possessed me? And I have certain points throughout my career that I would just do something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't even think about it. I would just do it. And if I hadn't have done those things, if I hadn't have moved to New York, I don't think I would have ever been able to have a career as a songwriter. You know, certainly not living in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was not going to be a kind right. of songwriter there. Yeah. But, you know, to my dad's chagrin, I, hey, would that be uh, chagrin, word of the day? Could be word of the day. Word of the day. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. We need a bell. Um, to my dad's chagrin, you know, he's a Ph.D. college professor. And I'm like, Dad, I'm quitting school and I'm moving to... New York City, you know, and it, which he did not like either, but I had to do it, yeah. you know. I've got two big ones I could think of off the top of my head. The, um, the first one would be, um, you know, I quit a job to try to write full time, which was scary. You know, and people thought I was crazy for doing that. Um, but I, I did that in two years into trying to write full time. And co-parent, you know, full-time as well. Um, a friend of mine took me to lunch, and I thought it was just lunch, but it was an intervention. And he said, hey, you're two years into this. You're not making any progress. You're not making any money. You got this family. You know, would you come to work for my company? And he said, it involves writing. And I said, oh, you know, what is it? You know, and he said, well, it's a different kind of writing. It's writing instruction manuals for small appliances. And I said, you mean like toasters? And he said, yeah. You know what? Today, AI could do that job. Yes, they could. <laughs> they could. And, um, it, but you, it would have had more money than I'd ever made. Yeah. It had benefits. It had retirement. It had insurance, none of which I had. And I went home and really had to do some soul searching to go, okay, 
do I take this job and do that for my family or is the best thing for my family to do something I'm passionate about and, and believe in myself. And I, you know, in that moment I decided, okay, I'm going to believe in myself. I'm going to make this happen somehow. And, but that solidified my resolve to, to make it happen because I thought, you know what, if I turn this down, I'm going to look stupid if I don't ever make it happen, you know? Yeah. There's something about walking out on a limb is there's, you know, or what Sonny Lemaire and I used to say, burn that bridge behind you, yeah. you know? And that's what you did. You're like, that's a bridge to go back to that life I don't want. And you turned it down. And once you make that commitment, I think that's when the good stuff really starts happening. Yeah, I don't think the universe or God or however you want to look at it, I don't think you get rewarded without making that kind of a commitment. I think it lights a fire in your soul in a way of like... Uh, a in believing in yourself enough to to do that, I think is powerful. Um, and I and I had to be pushed to believe in myself that much. You know, there were moments of doubt up until that point, and then I thought, okay, there's no going back. Like you said, you burned that bridge. So you had to be pushed into belief, but you also you you made the decision to be pushed there. Like you could have gone back. You could have started writing instruction manuals and making mm -hmm. more money than you had ever dreamed of. And I might've been the best <laughs> toaster manual writer in the, in well, the world. Heck yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. Might've been an award-winning toaster <laughs> manual writer, but much to the chagrin of my ex-mother-in-law using the word of the day, I, I yeah. did that. And every time she saw me, she would say, sold any songs yet, you know, <laughs> in, in kind of a sarcastic way and that kind of thing. Oh man. Um, so that's one. And the, the second was um, about six and a half years ago, uh, um, my BMI rep called me and said, um, hey, I've got this guy. He's an older guy. Um, he's been working on this play for 40 years. Um, he needs a country lyricist to help him update the songs. Would you be interested? And he said, full disclosure, 15 people have told me no. You're my 16th call, you know. And I thought, well, I'll try that because I've learned throughout my career say yes to things until you there's a good reason to say no so i said yes i met him and we really hit it off and so last week i i mean let three weeks ago i, I went to new york for a three-week run of this play mm -hmm. working with broadway actors and actresses um amazing experience and it's probably headed now to a regional theater um and 15 other people said no 15 other people said no and you know some people in my life were like you don't write plays. I mean, what are you doing? You know, yeah. why don't you, why don't you focus on writing country? And I thought, you know, I've always loved musical theater. I'm going to give it a try. And so, you know, it's turned into some really cool opportunities. So those would be my two big ones, I think. Yeah. I think the next hardest thing for me is once I got to New York and I started, may, oddly enough, I had passed my demo tape around and Somebody asked me, hey, I have a jingle company. Would you write TV commercial music? You know, music for toy commercials and Red Lobster and the armed services and all this. And I was like, okay, I got nothing better to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'll take a shot on a jingle. I got one and I got another. I got another one. And, you know, eight or nine years down the road, it's like, oh, this is really cool. I'm making music every day. I'm making good living. I mean, I had built a studio. 
Um, and it was nice. I was getting SAG checks for singing on these commercials. And somebody said from, he took a tape of mine to Nashville, played it for Mark Bright. Mark Bright called me out of the blue. I didn't know him. He's like, hey, man, I heard your tape. You want to come to Nashville? And so I come down to Nashville, meet with Mark Bright. And he's like, I want to sign you. Um, and it was probably a third of the money that I was making in New York. But something told me that I had to do it. And, and in fact, when I flew on the airplane down there, rented a car, sat in the parking lot at EMI Music, and this feeling just came over me. I was like, holy crap, my life's about to change. It wasn't, it, it was just, and I think that's what we have to learn as creators is when you get that voice, you have to listen to it mm -hmm. because that voice knows something that you don't know. Yeah. And I walk in the meeting, I get offered a job as a staff writer at EMI making third of the money that I could probably make, mm -hmm. you know, and no guarantee that they weren't going to fire me in a year. Right. But I did it. I, I moved. And then that started my next phase two of my music career being a country music songwriter and, and writing, you know, for big artists and country music. So that's what I think we should really listen when that voice hits us and don't discount it. I could have gone, no, this is stupid. I mean, they're going to pay me a third of what I'm making, mm -hmm. you know, which get, gets back to what we always talk about. If you're doing it for the money, yeah. then, you know, the money's a byproduct because you're following that voice inside. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, there, there's a lot of validity in the little things that lead to big things, too. You know, those were kind of like big, momentous leaps. Yeah. But, you know, looking back on my career, and I wrote a blog about this in the past, but when I was in fifth grade, um, all the cute girls played the flute in the band. These Well, the cute girls I was interested in. And so I, I went and told my parents, I want to play flute in the band, you know. So I get in the band. I'm the only guy that's playing flute, and um, but I get to sit by these pretty girls and get to know them, and I learn to read music. Right. And so— Not that you use that every day in, as a songwriter. As, well, as a fifth Where's grader. Where's this story and, going, Marty? Well, I'll, I'll tell—follow <laughs> me, Clay. So, and I'm, then, I'm, I'm going—this is a big leap of faith because you're, you're asking me to follow you <laughs> to flute land yeah. in this— Okay. Yeah, which seems like nonsense. <laughs> so I played the flute until through 10th grade. And in 10th grade, the, the band director said, you know, you ought to take a music theory class. And I thought, I need an elective anyway. Right. Why not take it? So I took music theory thinking, oh, I'll probably never use this. You know, many years go by. I'm kind of writing songs, playing guitar and that kind of stuff. And fast forward 45 years, I, I get to New York to work on this play the first couple times. And they need someone who can read music, um, who can also read Nashville music charts, which yeah. which I've done as a songwriter. Yeah. And so all these little skills that I that I had picked up along the way and that I thought I might never use came into play in a big way because I was the only one in the room that could talk to the musicians and also talk to the script writer and the and kind of translate of like, mm -hmm. here's what we need to happen. Here's how to do it musically. And they would, you know, tell me what they wanted. And so, you know, sometimes those little things 
that you think I'm, well, I'm never going to use that. I mean, this opens up a whole nother discussion we could have one day about music programs in school. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when, when the powers that be get short on money, the first thing they want to cut is music programs. But man, how many lives would be different without music programs? Not just people that went into music, but the ability to be in a band and learn to work with other people mm-hmm. and to be creative and think outside of the box is, is so valuable. Um, one more thing that, that I thought, and you know, I have a story like yours too. When I was in the fourth grade, I got a chance to sing on stage with Karen Carpenter and, oh, and the wow. Carpenters. I don't know if I ever told you that, but they, they came to our school and they auditioned some kids and I was one of this, I think there was eight of us that got to go on stage and sing with them. But that was, for me, years later, when I'm working as a songwriter with famous artists, I'm like, I already had that experience of working with someone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So how much did that play into, you know, what we're doing? But the last thing I wanted to talk about was listening to that voice. When you and I started Songtown, Everybody was like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> like, you can't teach songwriting. Like, why are you doing it? You're, do you need the money? And like, we started Songtown with hits on the radio. It wasn't like we weren't making a living as a songwriter, so we had to start doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, that's fine too, if, if, if our lives had gone that way. But I don't know about you, but it just seemed like there was something telling me I won't, I had been writing songs for many years and I wanted to share that craft with other people, mm-hmm. help other people realize their dream. Yeah. You know, I'd fought for my dream for many, many years. And I just thought there was this little voice said, this is the right thing to do. It wasn't like, you know, people on music row were, were going, well, what are you guys doing this for? It's like, you can't explain it. You know, it's just something, I don't know. Why, why did you just, Songtown. <laughs> yeah, the same reason. I mean, I, I love teaching, but I think the main reason is I had a mentor who changed my life. Uh, yeah. Kim Williams signed me to my first publishing deal, but beyond my publisher, he was a very much a hands-on mentor, and he taught me so much about the business and about songwriting, and I saw how much better my songs got from that yeah. learning, and I and I thought, yeah, you can teach songwriting. You, you can help people maximize their talent and all that yes. kind of stuff, you know? So, um, well, that's what, um, Tom Shapiro said. He's, you know, he was really, he's a hall of fame songwriter, 21 plus hit songs, number one songs. I mean, amazing career. And he's done some mentoring for us. And he was like, yeah, you can help people develop their talent that they have. Mm-hmm. If someone has talent, you can help them progress faster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not, if someone has zero musical talent, you're not going to transform them overnight into a great songwriter. But if someone has talent, they need mentoring. You know, yeah. I had mentors, Hall of Fame songwriters that took me under their wing because they believed I had talent. They helped me learn the craft. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned, yeah, I could sing a catchy melody, but how do you put that together in a song and pace it where you have your verse and then you know, you have your setup line at the end of the chorus lyrically, but you also got to match that with something different with the music. And then like, there's all these little things that we teach that 
I literally learned the importance of by being in the room writing with great writers. There's actually a line in my play that says, um, if you love something enough, you don't need anyone's permission to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sums up a lot of what we're talking about. Right. You know, if, if if songwriting feeds your soul, it doesn't matter if people think you're crazy, you know, to, to do it or whatever it might be, whether it's something else. Um, if you love something and it's your passion, you can find a way to, to use it in a way that's going to pay off for you in some way, I believe. That's all the reason you need, right? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, guys, check out my gear back here, my guitars. This lovely case that all came from Sweetwater. These, these <laughs> lovely these microphones. microphones. <laughs> I've been buying from Sweetwater for so many years. They've been good to me. Um, and so we appreciate having them as a sponsor. Any last words? Hey, check out our masterclass. Links below. I don't want to forget that. That's right. Show notes have information on Songtown, our books, and on the masterclasses. We'd love to see you there. Cheers. <laughs>